0: All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Brady Smith. It is an extreme pleasure uh, to be sharing with you during this virtual summit. I want to start off by thanking Glenn Vo for the invite. Uh, I was a guest on his podcast not too long ago, and um, I'm glad that he found the content of, of of what I'm about to share valuable enough to share with everyone here. A Little bit of an introduction to me. I'm a dentist. I'm a general dentist. I practice in Camas, Washington. I'm a father, uh, married uh, with four children, um, graduated dental school from University of Pacific in 2009, made my home in Colorado, working with a dental franchise called Comfort Dental. Some of you may be familiar. Uh, in 2014, I continued with the franchise and opened up a couple offices in Southwest Washington, where I live now, Vancouver, Washington, Camas, Washington area. And I just opened a new office called Tooth Docs, which is not a franchise. It's just a private group practice that is a um, um, my own little uh, non-corporate associated project. Um, uh, I want to start off by just addressing why we're all here i think that's the first thing that i think is really important to get dialed in why are you tuning in to this virtual summit why have you decided to take time out of your day to join me to join glenn to join every other speaker to consume the content that you're about to to consume drilled Drilled with dr brady podcast what drives that behavior well this week's episode It's gonna fall into the category of self help in some way. You're here back. because you want to a dental conference called Get the De- Better at something. You're here because you want to it's put on by I don't know, double your in production Vo and he invited me to come uh, and share some find out how to get no, new patients, uh, improve your service. clinical skills. The title of the presentation uh, is something related to dentistry like it, right? Uh, and that's why you're here. What does he mean by that? Well, so I consider that to be self-help, this presentation and, and self-help out. is a I huge business in America. This and I have a few stats here that I want to share. Some ideas um, that, that I'm pulling off of some and generic we websites, but uh, I think it helps to another. give us an idea Hope you enjoy the episode. of have a good week. just how much self-help is a, is a part of everybody's life. Um, the self-improvement market size estimates that the U.S. self, so the U.S. self-improvement market
1: is estimated to be $11.6 billion in 2019. Um, It contracted
0: slightly in 2020, likely due to the pandemic, and that in 2021, it is looking like it's rebounding um, back up of over $11 billion and forecast a 6% average annual growth to $14 billion a year by 2025. Uh, Live live events, business is hurting. Attendance at live events has plummeted last year due to the pandemic and the recession. And market data estimates estimates that this market fell by 24% in value during 2020 to $208 million. Motivational speakers, 5,000 plus U.S. motivational speakers. And they take in more than $1.6 billion per year, with the elite top 17 generating about $300 million, about 20% from just 17 individuals of the 5,000. 12 of the 17 are over the age of 60. These are the top 17 generating, money generating motivational speakers in the US. Motivational speaking market was hit hard in 2020 as in-person events were canceled and that has seen to go down. But what's gone up is personal coaching. So the US coaching market was worth $1.3 billion in, two point, in 2019. And that has gone up. Uh, Demand for audiobooks, self-improvement audiobooks market, grew strongly last year, up an estimated 20% to $541 million. Weight loss programs, uh, revenues for this market rose in 2020 to $4.07 billion. So I think it's safe to say that we want help. Everybody wants help. Everyone's looking for someone who can help them improve something. Um, and the title of my presentation is The Selfless Active Giving. And that's what I'm gonna try to help you, the viewer, develop a better understanding of is how the use of charitable service within your dental practice can um, better your practice, better you, and better your whole team Hey everybody, and welcome to The Drill from a macro level. Dr. Brady better your whole community. This so what if the best and most effective is presentation self-help is I to ignore few yourself few back and help other people? For a dental conference what if called the Nifty, to double your virtual production, conference, and it's the put fastest on by a way to get there is to help and other Dr. Dr. people? Voe, and he invited me to come what if and to get more new patients? About The answer was to help other people. And what if to feel more personally fulfilled? The answer is to help other people. So... What does I'm going to start off with a story. When well, I graduated from I'll dental school in 2009, me and about I appreciate all of you 12 I of you my fellow dental students, I hope it gives you some we decided we wanted to make an annual pilgrimage to Moab, Utah. Another. And Moab, hope Utah was a place the we wanted to have a good week. congregate because of all, all the incredibly fun things there are to do in Moab, Utah. If you're not familiar, there's whitewater rafting, there's canyoneering, there's uh, repelling there's dirt back uh, or dirt dirt bike uh, trails, thousands of trails, jeeping, um, just uh, tons of cool things you can do in a little section of southern Utah that looks like a different planet. Beautiful landscapes, red rock canyons, arches, formations. You've seen pictures all over of some of the most famous arches in the world come from the Moab, Utah area. So every year we would we would migrate and we would all meet there. And one year, um, we would, well, every year we would typically rent these little razors, these little uh, UAV machines, and we'd run around Moab. Um, a few of the guys uh, would rent dirt bikes as well. Now, I'm not very experienced on two wheels. Uh, I'm more comfortable on four wheels, but in this particular year, at this particular place, they were all out of razors. They had no more UAVs. All they had was dirt bikes. So it was either I get a dirt bike or I don't go. Um, and I was going to go. So I decided I would go. And, uh, interesting side note, I remember being coerced by my, by my colleagues, my friends that it wasn't a big deal. Like, you could definitely go ride some of these trails, even if you're a beginner. Um, I just went back to Moab for my 40th birthday, just in April, with a couple of the guys who were there. And they informed me, Just is get kind of an interesting fact about how human um, memory works. They told me, absolutely not. We tried to convince you, to talk you out of it. You were adamant that you wanted to go rent a dirt bike and ride on this trail. I don't remember it that way. I still don't remember it that way, but it was two against one and I have to um, uh, defer to <laughs> what the majority is saying. Uh, so I ended up getting this dirt bike. And so my, what I do remember and I recollect was um, a friend of mine who was nervous for me said to me, um, just so you know, whatever you look at, that's where you're going to go. Whatever you're aiming your eyes at, that is where you're going to, that's where the bike's going to go. Like magic, he told me. And I remember that from riding a bike, just riding a regular bike. If your eyes go to a certain place, that's where your body tends to
1: gravitate to. Um, I ended up crashing really bad and broke my wrist on that ride. Um,
0: And I did not listen to that advice. I did for a little bit, and I survived uh, a long ways. Uh, But I ended up, going down this huge hill and uh, got scared and pumped the brakes and I flipped over the handlebars and landed on my wrist and uh, uh, splintered or fractured a bone in my wrist. And I was in a splint for a few weeks and it was very difficult on my dentistry. But why am I sharing the story? So I wanted to share the story because the the whole point is you have to aim where you want to go. So do you even know where you want to go? Because that's the first problem. Again, why are you here at the summit? Why are you joining us? What are you trying to get? What are some of the reasons that there could be? Maybe you are looking for some kind of fulfillment. Maybe you're looking to be uh, happier, right? Maybe you want to make more money, and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're here because you're going to learn some strategies that you think are going to make you more money, and that's probably true. Maybe you want to learn how to do better clinical work. And that's fantastic. And I think you're in the right place uh, for that as well. Maybe you want to learn how to be more reliable and you want people to view you as more trustworthy. Um, Maybe you want to be around here. Here's one of my things I like. I like being around cool people. I like collaborating with people that I admire. I like finding the people I admire, telling them that I admire them and collaborating with them and learning from them. That's so I like to be around cool people. That's what I say. Maybe you want time. Sometimes that's the reason why you want money. You want money just because so you can create more time, right? That's the whole point of having the money. You want the money so you, ha- you can have the time, right? Um, but you have to know that. You have to know this is what I'm looking at. So I can land where I'm looking at. Uh, To give you a little bit of, I'm going to give you a little more background on my story. Um, because I think it's really relevant to the rest of the things I'm going to tell you. And by the end of this, I hope that you understand there's a couple things. Um, I want to state a few things that I believe right up front. Um, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit of, of my own story. So you can get to know me a little bit and where I'm coming from and the experiences that I've had that have led me to some of these conclusions I'm about to share which are counterintuitive to some extent, but I believe that our profession can solve dental poverty. And I'm not talking about the American Dental Association. I'm not talking about an organized um, group in that way. Uh, and, and let me let me um, define the term dental poverty. Dental poverty, you know, poverty is just the state of being poor. That's the definition of poverty, the extreme state, or the state of being extremely poor. Um, Dental poverty would be something I would consider to be, uh, your teeth are so bad that that's what's preventing you from getting the good job, getting a better relationship, having the confidence you need to be a contributing member of society. People who are in poverty typically can't contribute in the most meaningful ways um, to their own personal, you know, family, to themselves. They can't take care of themselves sometimes, so they definitely can't take care of their family uh which means the community suffers when that's the case right places where there's high levels of poverty the community suffers from that so when i say solve dental poverty i mean we could make it so there's not a single person whose sole problem is just their teeth and there's thousands and thousands of people in that state right now i believe that if we collectively flexed we could solve that problem have you ever um you've been in traffic You sit there in traffic and you're like, if we all just pushed the pedal down at the same time, uh, we would solve traffic, right? From a practical standpoint, that's true. If we all pushed our gas pedal down at the same time, then the traffic wouldn't exist. All right. I believe it's something like that with our profession. Uh, I believe charitable service is the best use of your resources to grow your practice the way that you want. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. And I believe most dentists want to be charitable, but aren't necessarily sure how to do it. So these are three beliefs that I come uh, to share uh, with these with this uh, presentation. Um, I'll start. My first five years of practice went pretty normal. Um, I, I would say I was earning very well. Uh, I was in a very well-oiled machine of a practice. Uh, I remember my very first paycheck was $37,000. And I was blown away. I got so blown away. And I know this is kind of cringy. Uh, I took a picture of it and I sent it to my parents. I was the dental student that was uh, borrowing money from mom and dad, uh, more than I'd like to admit. And so I sent this picture to my mom and dad and my dad texted me back and said uh good now you can stop borrowing money from me and i have not borrowed money from my parents since becoming a a working dentist and i mentioned that because i want to see as i tell this story i want i want it to be clear i'm going to start telling you about how much i started to hate my profession not for my fr- my job let's let's call it my job not for my, that's not accurate it's my job that i started to hate i started hating coming to work i did not like it and it wasn't the money I thought I was doing very well. I was not wanting for anything as far as money was concerned. Um, But around 2013, 2014, uh, I remember going to my wife and telling her I'm unhappy. And I had been feeling that for a long time. And I knew the repercussions of telling that to her uh, would be
1: scary for her. Obviously being a dentist is not something you can 180. really easily. And so I, I pondered on what it was, what would I have to
0: change? Do I need to change my profession? Do I need to do that? What am I looking at? Right? Where am I aiming? And why am I falling short? What's going on? And I identified three things over a period of about maybe six months of really kind of, I would describe as soul searching. I, I, decided that there were three things that I needed to change. And one of them um, was to stop doing dentures. I, that was just as I looked and evaluated my day-to-day. I have patients from 2009 to 2014. I still remember their names and not for the good reason. It, I would be terrified to see these people's names on my schedule for their 15th reline or sore spot. Or whatever it was, they didn't like the color that I mean it was I and mean, it was always denture related. So I kind of had to have enough self awareness to say, dentures are not for me. And I wasn't making a lot of money from the dentures, and so I stopped doing them. And now I'm not saying that to recommend that to anybody. I'm telling you, this is me analyzing myself, finding out what were my pain points, and then making some kind of executive action, changing some behavior. To alleviate those, and that helped. The second thing that I made sure that i that I did was stop surrounding myself with people I didn't want to be around, certain assistants, certain um, people that I would work with that I didn't want to work with, and I would dread going to work. So the whole thing with me, I don't like going I don't like going to my job. Part of it was the patience. Part of it was my team. And I felt like if I couldn't train them, then I should fire them. And that was hard because I didn't really learn that in dental school. I don't think prepared me for that aspect. And I don't know that they even could if they tried, to be honest, to be fair. Um, But I started firing people. I started replacing people. I started being very strict with, here's the way it has to be, and that's it. And if people couldn't get in line, I would fire them and find people who could. That was hard. Did it. Helped out tremendously. The third thing. I knew that I was not doing anything charitable for anybody. That was a part of my life that had just felt fallen through the cracks. I never did anything. I never, and I I always had that as a important piece of my life growing up and still by my parents, but also through, um, uh, you know, practical observation of experiencing how, how much, how important that is and how fulfilling it is to help other people. I had to come to the realization that I was not doing that and I wanted to. So here's what i did i i uh i found people just people in my practice and i began to offer them free things and it wasn't huge things at first and i think every dentist can relate to this right every dentist listening everyone every one of you has that patient who's like a cool person like you enjoy talking to them they're like you would be friends outside the office and every time you mention that crown, you get that, they look to the ground and 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 they start talking about, yeah, it's, it's not good timing right now. And things aren't looking good, uh, you know, maybe next month or maybe in, in three months I can do it. And sure enough, you see them at the next six month cleaning and they're still talking about that three months, in three months I'll do it. Those are the people that I identified and I started just doing it for free. And I, what I would say to them is, um, hey, I know it's tough on you right now. How about, let me pay for this one. Let me take care of this one and you take care of the next one. And that was a very uh, disarming way to provide charitable service to people because most people, a lot of people don't want to accept it. But when you say, I'm going to pay for this one and you pay for the next one, that seems like a good deal. And they say, well, this isn't a permanent thing. Yeah, I just need help with this. If you can help me with that, that would be really great. Started to get a lot of those people coming through and I started to really enjoy it. And, um, you know, with those denture patients, I mentioned the denture patients, how I would dread seeing their name days in advance. The complete opposite began to happen with the people that I knew were
1: coming in for a crown that I wasn't charging them for. And all of a sudden my purpose changed completely. And my happiness was completely tied and tethered to that purpose, I've
0: always hated mowing lawns ever since growing up. Always terrible. I still don't do it. I have a lawn. I pay someone to mow it. I'll never do it myself ever. Won't do it to my kids because I hate it so. I hated it so much growing up. Won't even do, do it to my kids. I'm gonna pay someone for the rest of my life to mow
1: lawns because I hate it. And, um, uh, but some years ago this
0: opportunity came up to provide some meaningful service to a a widow who was a member of my church. And she needed help. And I was like, please don't be mowing lawns. Please don't be mowing lawns. Please don't be mowing lawns. But that was what was needed. The lawn needed to be mowed amongst a bunch of other yard work and things that she could not do for herself. So I uh, rolled up my sleeves and I mowed the lawn. And you know what I found?
1: I didn't mind mowing that lawn. That wasn't a problem for me. You know what that made me realize? It's not the job. It's the purpose. That is what needs to change. That
0: is what you need to turn that switch to something that you hate, to something that you love. You need to redefine your purpose or maybe even find it in the first place so that you understand it that was a stark realization. And I knew before I even started implementing this, that this would be a um, a dramatic change in the way that I viewed my uh, profession, my job, my whole career, right? And it worked. It worked like it was magic. And I all of a sudden, I got rid of the people I didn't want. And I got the people there that I did. Um, my purpose is not to is not to adjust dentures. My purpose is not to touch dentures at all. And to this day, I have not done dentures since about 2013. Um, I know some dentists love it. Listen, that's the great thing about our profession, right? We can, we can do things and not do things. And it's cool because there's someone else who loves what we don't love. And there's someone else who hates what we love and we can swap things, right? We swap that along with other dentists all the time, other specialists. So um, I mentioned I started with small things. But what happened was I enjoyed it so much that I didn't want it to end. And so when I did something for someone, I would find someone else to do something for. And it started with bigger things and then it started, to get, started getting into bigger things. And I remember, uh, and I'm, this is a bit of a, a, of a confession, I would um, still do from time to time. I go to Wendy's a lot. And I, I love Wendy's um, for a lot of reasons. I went to Wendy's and there was always this young lady at the drive-thru, friendly, as anyone you know, one of the most friendly people that I've ever met. And every time she would meet me at that drive-thru window, she would smile and talk to me. And I could see her teeth looking like apple cores, like rotten apple cores. Her teeth were visibly terrible which is so interesting because she was such a happy person. It didn't seem to bother her. And I thought to myself every time I saw her, man, what a difference I could make. What a difference. I just had a couple of weeks with her.
1: I could change her life. And then I started asking myself, well, why don't I do it? Why don't I do it? And, you know, when I'm asked, when I'm asked, Uh, by people, I
0: I have the opinion, um, I'm a strongly opinionated person, but I have the opinion that dentistry is better than medicine. And when people ask me, should I go into dental school or should I go to medical school? I always say dentistry. Uh, And I know I'm biased, but one of the reasons I always say is it's because we own our own cotton rolls. And that sounds weird to people, but let me, let me, let me unpack that. What does that mean? We own our own cotton rolls. Why is that a good thing? It means that down to the smallest, most menial materials that we have in our office, we call the shots, right? We have complete autonomy. I get to decide who gets the cotton rolls. Do I use them? Do I not use them? I get to decide if I charge money for cotton rolls, right? Or not. But if I left my practice, I take the cotton rolls with me because they're mine. I bought them. Everything there is mine. I bought it all. And that is the way it is with most dentists, right? If you own your own practice, you also own the things that are inside, which gives you this amazing autonomy, which most doctors don't even have. Most doctors are employees. Most doctors work for a hospital. You think a heart surgeon can give away free stuff? You think, uh, uh, you know, there's, it's just, that's not the way it works in medicine. And we are blessed because of it, because we've chosen dentistry. And we have this amazing opportunity that not a lot of other medical professionals have to utilize our services in any way that we feel inspired to do so. And we are the gatekeepers of those services. We ourselves. So I I thought to myself, how do I approach this person? I had never offered dentistry to someone who was, not a patient of mine, like out in the wild, right? Like I didn't know how to do that. I thought, well, I'm, you know, a a man, she's a woman, this is gonna seem weird. And I don't, there are some weird dynamics and I I didn't know how to do it, but I was like, just shut up and do it. So I was in the drive-thru line. I brought, made sure I had one of my business cards with me. And I said, hey, I'm a dentist. I work a couple miles down the road. That's my practice. Here's my card. I just want you to know, I appreciate you so much. And the way you treat me, that I would like to see you in my office and help you. And she goes, oh, kind of surprised. She goes, oh, thank you. Okay. And she put her my card in her pocket, and I never heard from her for a few weeks. It took took it took a while, and I thought for sure I was like, oh, now I made it. I went and made it awkward. um She ended she ended up showing up, and she had told uh, her mother and father about that. And she, went, she didn't want to come and take me up on it, but she came with her mother and father who wanted to uh, meet me, probably a good idea, and just make sure everything was above board. And we ended up changing her life, and it was amazing. And never thought once about my lab costs or anything like that because that chasing that feeling was just worth more than everything. So that's my story. As I've done that, I've always kept someone in the queue. I've always been actively involved in making sure I'm doing something for someone. And in talking to dentists, and again, one of my beliefs that I started with was I believe that most dentists
1: want to be charitable, but aren't sure how to do it. So, um, uh, I see a lot of dentists who have had bad experiences with charitable work. And I know that those are
0: real. You you know, someone didn't appreciate it, didn't feel grateful. Uh, It's too expensive. Man, it cost me so much money. It was such a headache. And so I've developed a couple of strategies that I have to follow because I've also had charitable service, charitable encounters that I don't think went the way that I would have ideally had them go. Uh, And I have two rules. Two rules that I try to follow when I do charitable service. One is it needs to be for someone who deserves it. What does that mean? That That sounds obvious. But it's not. Because there's a lot of charitable service that dentists do for people who don't deserve it. So how do you find out if they deserve it or not? Well, one of the things um, that happens a lot is that dentists do general uh, dentists do charitable service for strangers, right? One of the most common charitable outreaches that I see, and I want to be clear, I think this is great. I don't think it's impactful. That is these days of free dentistry where a dentist will open up their office and Patients can select from usually one of three services. It's a cleaning, a filling, or an extraction, and it's free of charge. And it's one day, they open up their practice, or if it's a DSO or a small DSO or a little small group, they'll open up all the practices, and they do a day of free dentistry. And they're just working and working, and I've been involved in those, and um, I know what it's like to try to get done so fast that you're trying to get to the next person. And I just don't think it was ever impactful. I think you might be helping someone out of a jam at best. It's not life-changing. And you don't know these people. These people are usually strangers, all right? No idea if they deserve it or not. And that's not to say you shouldn't do that. I think that that's very noble. Um, What I think I'm talking about is heightening it to a level that gives you a more grand purpose let you see what you are doing and why you are doing it. Those days of dentistry, I never really had that why. Why am I doing this? You know, we'd always call the news. The news would show up. We definitely would get our little five-minute spot on the evening on the local evening news. That's nice. That's a nice shot in the arm uh, for the office. I know I, and we'll get into that a little bit later about showing off the charitable work because i will talk about that so number one rule is it needs to be someone who deserves it so in 2019 i created a a foundation called the halo dental network and we help dentists do charitable work who want to do that um and one of the rules we have is that in order to qualify for these full mouth cases that we do you have to be nominated by somebody else no self nominations are allowed one of the reasons we do that is because we want to know who this person is. We want somebody else to vouch that they deserve it. It's a very important rule. So I don't want Dennis to get disillusioned or resentful from charitable charitable service. That is one of the most sad things that I see in the in the dental group forums online in person at events, talking to dentists, is, oh, I had these terrible experiences
1: they have that, that make them resent dentistry. Um, you know, everyone in dentistry knows a patient
0: who says something like, when I was six, seven, or eight, I had this jerk dentist, right? And this jerk dentist was such a jerk. And I had such a bad experience that I never went back to the dentist. And now I'm 40 and I'm back, and I haven't been for 30 years. Well, who suffered during that 30 years? Who's the one who pays the cost? Not the dentist, not that jerk dentist. It's you, the patient. The patient pays that. If you're a dentist and you had some terrible experience with charity and charitable service, I want you to know you sound like that patient to me. You sound like you should know better, all right? Because we see that in our patients and we understand very fast with no hesitation, you screwed yourself and that's too bad. Let's let's see what we can do to help you now. All the benefits of charitable service will be lost on you if you allow yourself to become resentful towards doing it. That is one of the reasons why I created the Halo Dental Network. That's one of the reasons I'm talking about this is so that dentists can find themselves, do this in a way that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot. I don't want dentists to be resentful towards charitable service, and it is—it does happen. Uh, that, so that's rule number one: it needs to be someone who deserves the treatment. You may know someone, and we, in our network, we allow dentists to nominate someone, and these are one of the some of the best cases we do. What we do also with Halo is is we tell the patient's story. I love telling these stories of these patients who are suffering and are made whole again through the skills and resources.
1: Of a generous and kind dentist, so rule two, uh, it needs to significantly improve the quality of life. the what
0: you do for them has to be something that improves the quality of their life. something s- significant. It doesn't have to be life altering to begin with, right? It doesn't have to be that. Let me um. Uh, drawn analogy i I don't know if you guys have noticed uh i had this super awesome awesome painting behind me this is gandalf versus balrog if you're a lord of the rings fan you know exactly what this is all about right if you're not listen it's a pretty easy depiction of good versus evil or you know someone standing strong against an uh unbelievable indomitable type of task ahead of them so i love the sci-fi pop culture references. I'm also very into artwork. Uh, I collect a lot of art. I collect mostly uh, comic book art uh, is what I focus on. Uh, But I like a lot of things. And this is an artist named Christopher Clark. You should check him out. He's amazing. Um, The reason I brought that up is because I'm about to go on a Game of Thrones tangent. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, fan, you're going to understand exactly what I say. If you're not a Game of Thrones fan, let me just paint a picture for you. There was a, a, a section in the whole saga of game of thrones where there's this queen and her name is khaleesi and no one thinks she's really the queen but she's got some dragons and so she's marching around and accumulating um an army right and she parks herself on this island called dragonstone and dragonstone is built on this obsidian this uh they call it dragon glass it's, it's you know it's what it's what we know as volcanic glass right there's tons of it in these um uh on this island called Dragonstone. And that's what she's like, that's her headquarters. And then in comes this guy named Jon Snow. Now, Jon Snow is kind of neutral as far as this, who's the queen, who's not the queen. But Jon Snow uh, has his own army. He's fighting on the other side of the world, and he's fighting an undead army. They call him the White Walkers. No one believes in the undead army, except for him, who's been he's been fighting them. But the weakness, the undead army, their kryptonite is dragonglass. So he knows where there's a lot of dragon glass. So he goes to Dragonstone, and he confronts this queen, and she wants him to pledge fealty, and he says, "That's not why I'm here. I'm here for that dragon glass, which is worthless to her." And so she has this um, right hand man. They call it the hand of the the hand of the king or the hand of the queen, but the hand was a very special um, uh, counselor, and he counseled her. That giving the dragon glass, the words were something like this You can give him something by giving him nothing. You can give him something by giving him nothing. The dragon glass was worthless to her. But the bridge that she could mend by allowing him to take that without pledging fealty first was an act of kindness. And to Jon Snow, it was a huge deal. To her, to allow him to come in and uh, you know uh, pilfer away a little bit of dragon glass meant nothing to her. It's a resource that was worthless to her. Why am I telling this story? First of all, because Game of Thrones is awesome, and if you haven't watched it, you need to go watch it. Second of all, that is what dentistry is. Let me ask you this: if you If you were charged for an extra crown on your lab bill, how many of you, just one extra crown, you didn't do a crown, you got, let's say you did 20 crowns that month and you got charged for 21, would you notice it? Would it make a difference in your paycheck? It wouldn't in mine. I mean, it's so minimal. It's not even worth counting in my opinion. To give, the point I'm getting at is that crown is one of our most expensive procedures, right? But to give someone a crown, it doesn't move the needle for us, but it does for them. It does for your patient. You give them a crown, and now they don't have to worry about where rent's coming from this month. It moves the needle for them, but it doesn't for us. You can give something without really giving anything. It makes a bigger difference to them than it does to us to lose it. So rule number two, it needs to significantly improve the quality of the life. Something you can see, something you can measure, something you can quantify. Maybe not exactly like quantify in numbers, but you can quantify in feelings, like how you feel, how they feel about
1: having that offered to them. Because that's what they remember. People remember how they feel about things. Um, this is what makes this biologically sound is the psychology
0: behind free work versus earned work. Lots of dentists listening to this have done incredibly transformative dentistry and been paid for it. And these patients receive this and they uh, put their heads in their hands and they cry because it's amazing. And it's transformative. But I want you to know, I think it's different. I believe it's different when you do it for free and you have what seems to be on the outside the same reaction. Because it's different when someone is given something that they cannot get themselves. It's different. That's the psychology of free versus earned. It's the same thing being given. Part of that is someone who pays for the treatment feels like they contribute they, they feel like they're entitled to the treatment, they, and they are. They paid for it. You gave it to them. The transformative The transformation is it's a little less the doctor and a little more the patient who takes some internal credit for that. I saved up. I made sacrifices to pay this dentist to make this transformation for me. I chose to do this, versus the dentist saying, "I know you can't pay for this, but I want to help you so bad that I'm just going to do this anyways." So those are my two must-have rules. If you're going to do charitable service, it needs to be someone who deserves it. You qualify that however you want to qualify that. All right? Just make sure you believe that it needs to be someone who deserves it. And it needs
1: to be uh, of significant value that it improves the quality of life in some way.
0: And I would say a $1,500 crown for a lot of people, improves their quality of life um, you know, or a root canal or, or whatever whatever the patient might need. But those are the two things that when you follow those two rules, you will avoid a lot of the pitfalls that will land you in this kind of morass of regret and resent resentment when it comes to offering someone something. A little bit down the road, I'm going to talk about some more objections that I hear from Dennis about charitable work um, that I think um, are important to address. It needs to be navigated with a little bit more deliberateness. There, there needs to be a little strategy that I think um, I can be helpful, helpful with. Uh,
1: so um, we talked a little bit about the way people feel.
0: One thing that's important to understand about um, kindness is the way it makes people feel. One thing that's important to understand about psychology is that people remember how they feel, right? A lot of dentists get really, really annoyed when someone um, starts telling a story about, yeah, I had a tooth pulled and the dentist put their knee on my chest and they started pulling. Now, I don't believe a dentist has ever put a knee on anybody's chest and pulled a tooth. I don't believe it's happened. I can't wrap my head around it. I don't, I've never seen it. I've never had a dentist who was like, yeah, one time I had to put my knee on their chest. I've never heard of it ever, but I have had hundreds of patients tell me that that's true. Hundreds. All right. I talked to other dentists who are like, yep, hundreds of of people will swear up and down that they had a knee on their chest and that's how the, the dentist pulled their tooth out. Why in the world is that the way it is? So I have an answer, and I have a theory that I'm just going to say is correct, because I think it is. We have two parts of our brain. One is called the neocortex. This is the outer part of our brain. If you took a cross-section of the brain and look at the outer the outer section, it's called the neocortex. This is, um, this is used to analyze. Um, um, uh, to anal- it, it's, it's used to uh, analyze. Uh, it's used to create language. Ah uh, rational analytic type of things uh, assessment of what's going on around you is is done it's the logical part of your brain essentially and there's an inner part of your brain called the limbic brain and the limbic brain is uh it drives behavior but it's um it's where places like uh, things like trust and loyalty come from and a lot of this is um you know this is all scientific, but this comes from um a very famous, uh, author and speaker named Simon Sinek and Simon Sinek, uh, talks about this and, and, and people trying to understand their why, which is amazing. And you should listen to it and read all of his books. Um, but he talks about the limbic brain and you can look this up. It's definitely true, but the places where trust and loyalty are created is the limbic brain. And it's more importantly, it's where decision-making happens. It's your behavior all right so what happens in my belief is that although nobody put their knee on their chest to pull a tooth out
1: the patient felt that way they felt terrified as if that was the case
0: because they remember what they feel that limbic part of the brain brings up this memory People don't really remember what you do or what you say. People remember how they feel. And because they remember how they feel, they fill in the gaps later on in life with the language, which comes from the neocortex portion of the brain, that matches the terror that the limbic portion of their brain is recalling. Does that make sense? It is, it is as if it did happen. So for the patient, I've come to think, that's real. It it didn't actually happen in reality, but they were so terrified that it might as well have.
1: All right. So let me get back to it. Okay. So
0: there in lies our, uh, you know, case study in the science of, 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 of feelings and gut feelings and trust trustworthiness and loyalty and how you develop that because these are actually things we want in our patients right we want our patients to be uh, loyal to us we want them to see us as trustworthy we want that to happen and i don't think you get that by the things you say i think you, you get that by the way you make people feel the way you make people feel is what they remember and they will actually forgive you for the things that you say <laughs> if and the things that you do
1: if you make them feel a certain way, okay? Um, I have a lot of stories
0: I wanna tell because what I what I wanna develop is this aspect of, of, of feeling because that's what charitable service does where paying customers don't get that. Paying customers pay for it, it's a transactional service. It doesn't register in that portion of the brain, as it's it's more the analytical portion. I paid you for this, I get this, right? And they may remember how they felt, but I don't think they associate with how, that you made them feel that way. Not as much, to a certain degree, for sure they do. They do. There is that component, and the dentist does, does deserve that. The dentist deserves some some uh, credit there, certainly. But it is different when it is a gift. For someone who could not possibly ever pay for it on their own 1978 there was a scientific study done by a dr robert narum there's a whole book written on this um the name escapes me right now it, i think it's called be kind to the rabbits or kindness to rabbit rabbits but they were studying rabbits and they were studying the fat content of their blood vessels with rabbits that were on a high fat diet And they fully expected during this study to find that rabbits who have a diet high in fat, fat content, will have blood vessels lined with fatty deposits and plaque. And so they they do the study and they find what they're looking for with one exception. And this is a real study. The exception was a group of rabbits that were fed the high fat content diet that did not exhibit as bad of uh, fatty arteries. The fat deposits in their blood vessels were not as high as other ones. And all the rabbits that were exhibiting this aberration from the rest were under the care of one very specific postdoctoral student. So what happened in the study is that when they're done, the rabbits are taken care of by these postdoctoral students and one in particular happened to be very kind to these rabbits happened to love these rabbits happened to sing to them gather them together on her lap and read books to them very lovingly very motherly type of type of relationship with these with these rabbits it's an animal person right some of you might be an animal. I, i'm sure the people listening who definitely would have been the postdoctoral student who was singing to ra- Singing to the rabbits, she was elated that she got to take care of these rabbits. She didn't know that she ruined the study. So, um, so what happened was um, uh, they did a second study to confirm, and what they found was that it confirmed their initial these these um, surprise suspicions that kindness and love actually affects health outcomes and camaraderie and relationships and community and all these things actually have an effect on health outcomes. We take care of a lot of rabbits as dentists. And I think that as we do charitable service, charitable service becomes easier to do. Um, And we find that our capacity to do kindness increases. And this makes everything easier for us. And this makes it easier for our patients to understand and see our purpose. One of the things I believe also is that I don't believe your patients know why you do dentistry. I think it's one of the most difficult things is to create some situation where your patients know why you do what you do. It's very difficult. Uh, It's mostly transactional to the patient in their mind. and Lots of them are terrified to be there. So. How can you help them understand why? How can you help them understand your purpose? Well, they have to know why. They have to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And the one of the only ways to show them is to maybe showcase some of the charitable service that you do. And I know that makes a lot of people cringe. I don't want to share that. That makes me seem like I'm doing it for the wrong reason. And that's one of the things I want to break every single dentist of. Because I strongly disagree, strongly disagree, that that's the way it comes off. It comes off that way to some people.
1: And we're not going to worry about those people, all right. Um, but even if you don't want to sh- share that, let me tell you what happened to me. So, going back
0: to my um, my beginning story, where I started doing all these cases. The Wendy's girl. Uh, uh, what I noticed is that I started to get a few more word of mouth referrals that certain people would come to me. And in our intake paperwork, we have a section where patients can indicate how they heard about us, right? And they can circle Google or they can circle Facebook or they can circle a referral. or if they say referral, there's another little line that says, "Who referred you, right? we want the we want the person's name because we would give them a gift, right? We would send them some sunglasses or a a coffee mug or something like that uh, as a referral gift. I don't know if that's even legal. We don't do that anymore, but we used to do that. And so we would get people's names. And I found one of the guys I did a crown for. I I I think I did a few crowns for him. He sent me like six people, like six people. And these are not people who are asking me to do free work for them too mind you, because I know that's exactly where your dentist brains are going to go. It's like, surely these people are going to, going to hit you up and and, uh, shake you down for some free crowns that you, the word's gotten out that you're, you're the free crown guy. That wasn't the case. These full pay, full, full paying patients. Um, And I would talk to these people and they were just like, man, I could not believe that John was gushing over you the way he was being a dentist i've never heard someone talk about their dentist like that um he had just had this completely different experience with dentists and he was so excited to meet me and he agreed to 100 of the treatment plan that we had discussed almost as if he was going there prepared to say yes so i started um uh, i started an experiment We had one, when I created the Halo Dental Network, our very first patient that we did a full mouth case for, her name was Bobby. If you want to see her case, we have a YouTube channel called, uh, it's called the Halo Dental Network YouTube channel. We have a lot of videos of these transformations and you can see Bobby. Bobby was uh, nominated by her daughter, Misty, and she lives in Salem, Oregon, which is about two hours south of me. It's a place I don't get a lot of patients from because there's about 500 dentists between me in Salem Oregon but I thought to myself okay I believe enough in 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 the power of charitable service to bring in word of mouth referrals just from anecdotal experience I'm going to try to track this and so I did for about six to nine months I tracked after I finished from the time I started her case the time I finished it and about nine months after I got so many referrals from between her and her daughter, Misty. I just kept track of those two. Anyone from those two and anyone that they referred that also referred more, I count that too. Um, Like a a multi-level marketing scheme of word of mouth referrals, right? I got over $18,000 in nine months from one person's free case. And then I stopped keeping track. Cause I like, that's enough for me. I don't need to keep on keeping track, but I still see these people all the time. And it's always just another little reminder and confirmation that this is, like I said, one of the things I believe is that charitable service is the best use of your resources to grow your practice the way that you want to grow your practice. One of the things that Simon Sinek says in his in his uh, understanding your why talk is, um, I'll make sure I write this down so I don't forget it. You don't want, he says clients. I'm replacing the word clients with patients. You don't want patients that need what you have. You want patients that believe what you believe. You don't want patients that need what you have. You want patients that believe what you believe. I think that's true whether you're fee-for-service, PPO, corporate, FQHC, solo, solo doc practice, group practice. It doesn't matter what kind of dentist you are. You want patients that believe what you believe. Everybody wants that. That is one of the aspirations. And, and so what happens when you do charitable service is that you create these cheerleaders for yourself and for your office. And they bring in people who already know what you believe. And they believe that dentists should be like you. That's what they believe. That's what they tell me. I wish all dentists were like you.
1: Um Okay, I wanna put a little
0: pause on that point and go into one more little story and then we're gonna wrap things up. Uh, if you're still listening, holy crap, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate
1: this. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity. Um, uh, let me just make sure.
0: Okay. I want to talk for a second about the use of marketing dollars and how they're used. And there's a lot of really poor ways to use marketing dollars. And there's a lot of really good ways to use marketing dollars. There's a lot of in-between. There's a lot of like, well, we don't really know what works the best. There's people who will tell you what works the best. Um, And I don't know that I have the right answer. And when I say I believe charitable service is the best use of your resources to grow the practice that you want, the way you want, it's because charitable service creates people that believe what you believe. Okay? Google AdWords does not, all right? Facebook ads, Instagram ads does not necessarily create patients that believe what you believe. You might get people ready with money and and desire to get started, but it doesn't create, it doesn't guarantee that they believe what you believe. They might. You might get lucky. One second. But uh, that's not a guarantee. Okay. So I mentioned that I'm part of this, um, uh, franchise called Comfort Dental. And when I started growing the Halo Dental Network, I was super excited about it. I want to share it with, um, everybody. And I had an opportunity to sit down in front of the executives of Comfort Dental, Shark Tank style. Okay. And all the executives of Comfort Dental are are dentists. It's one of the things I liked about Comfort Dental. One of the reasons I joined because there are no non-dentists. They're all dentists. And I love that. Um, uh, but I had the opportunity to talk to them about Halo, and I thought, what a great way to like get the current, you know, army of cumber dental dentists—about 450 dentists. It's not one of the bigger DSOs. It's not. Um, I mean, it's medium size, I would say. Um, but to get that many dentists doing these types of cases, like doing one case a year, if every dentist did one case a year, this is going to help us solve our problem. Which is my pr- primary belief was that our profession can solve dental poverty. So I took this idea to the bigwigs, people with the money and I did some research and I had some uh, some intel on how they're spending some of their marketing dollars. And I knew that they were spending a lot of money on this sign in right field at Coors Field where the Colorado Rockies play, Major League Baseball team. And they send us emails all the time. If any home run was ever captured on ESPN that had the Comfort Dental sign, oh man, you know that email's coming. And they're gonna say, look at what we're doing, right? And I happened to find out that they spend a million dollars a year on this sign in Coors Field. A million dollars a year. And I was like, wow, for a fraction of that, I think we can make a bigger dent and get a lot more people interested in Comfort Dental by doing something different. And so I pitched this idea. And one of the things I did to drive the point home, and it might've backfired, I might've made some people upset. But one of the things I did was I wanted to point out that there's a better use of marketing. And so I asked them the question. I said, I understand you guys pay this much money for this marketing sign. Um, I asked them what their struggles were. What's the one thing you struggle with? And it was partner recruitment. And I said, Okay, that makes sense. Um, and we went to some questions there, and I said, Okay, you spend a million dollars a year on this sign in Cruise Field. Let me ask you guys a question. I got five of these guys, they've been they've had this sign there for years, a couple uh, two or three years at least, maybe longer. And I said, Um, Whose sign is next to yours? What company is advertising right next to Comfort Dental? Because there's signs all along that out, that outer fence. And nobody knew the answer to that question. I didn't until I looked it. Look, I like to look it up, right? Uh, and nobody knew the answer. And boy, did they get mad at me. And they, boy, did they start to defensively kind of tell me about what's going on and what this does and, and, the, and the and the visuals that this gives and the brand recognition that this gives on a wide scale to this audience. And um, uh, uh, But to me, it boiled down to kind of a vanity purchase and we didn't get anywhere. And it was not an idea that went over well. And maybe I didn't convey what Halo can do and what charitable service can do properly. Um, so my law, that can be on me. Now let me transition to a different company. Um, about four years ago, me and my wife were um, looking into buying a franchise for a restaurant. I don't know call it a restaurant. It's a it makes it's a bakery. It's a French a bakery franchise called Nothing Bun Cakes. Some of you might have had the pleasure of eating a Nothing Bun Cake. They are delicious. They are ridiculous. I mean, they have it's a, it's a bun cake, and there's small ones and big ones, and they have this thick cream cheese frosting. It's it's like crack cocaine. All right, it's amazing. There wasn't one in our area. I knew that it would be a hit. Uh, you had to travel an hour to get to the closest. Nothing bun cake. I started talking to them. It actually got kind of serious. They sent us an application. We had to sign a non-disclosure form. Then they invited uh, us to fly out to Dallas to the headquarters to meet the executives. We ended up saying no, because my wife is pregnant and we we started looking into the actual time allocation. And it just wasn't gonna be possible. So we said no to the opportunity. And I wish we hadn't, because a few months ago, and this was about four years ago that we had been thinking, a few months ago, someone shows up. So first of all, I'm getting ahead of myself. The business model of Nothing bun Cake, what they told us to do in the first 90 days is you spend the first 90 days just making cakes. And giving them away, just find businesses and you give them away. That's all you do. Give them away. It is the exact same strategy that drug dealers have. To be quite honest, okay, It is you get people hooked on your product, and they're the ones coming back for more, seeking you. You know your product is that good. You give it out for free. They come back. Okay, that's their. That's nothing but cake's business model. That's what they tell their franchisees. That's not a non-disclosure agreement, by the way. I can share that. There's a bunch of financials of it. How much money these franchises make individually that's stuff i can't share but that's their business model as you go around for free so a few months ago i'm sitting on a dental office and into the break room one of my team members comes in carrying this plate of little mini nothing bun cakes and i said did you tr- did you drive all the way to clackamas that's a is where the closest one was no no, someone just showed up here and gave it to us. And I said, no way. There's a nothing bun cake in town somewhere. She's like, I don't know, might be, but I knew it was because I knew enough about the franchise to know they're setting up. And sure enough, about four miles away from my office, there's a nothing bun cake. And on multiple occasions, they have showed up at our place to give us free nothing bun cakes. And on multiple occasions, we have purchased nothing bun cakes for staff meetings and. Uh, different uh, birthday uh, celebrations that we do in our, in our office. But that's the difference in a business model that works versus one that wasn't. So you have, and I, you know, I don't mean to throw my own uh, brand out of the bus, but these are dinosaurs and they'll never want, I mean, I've, nothing I'm saying now is anything I haven't said to their face. So these are dinosaurs who operate their marketing dollars in a way that dinosaurs used to it's it's that's what it is. Nothing bunk is a little more of a newer, more modern and they have a dick they have a different strategy. All right? So you think about what you want and how you're going to get there. And how does that correspond, right? What are you doing what makes the most sense? I don't want to tell you how to spend your marketing money. There's too many different practices, too many different niches, too many different um types of right patients that Dennis will talk about. They want the right kind. I don't want the wrong kind of patients. I want the right kind of patients. And so I don't know exactly what kind of marketing allocations to recommend uh, in a broader sense. But I will say this. You need to look at what you are aiming for. You need to be looking at what you want to get there. If you aren't, you're not going to get there. Um, Never in my time in comfort dental has anyone come in and said I saw the sign in right field and decided to come in that never happened once not a single time nothing bond cake 100 as soon as we got free nothing bond cakes we started calling them to order them for our parties and for the times that we needed a sweet treat all right so um if it was me i would rather spend if i had 2500 dollars to spend or 3000 dollars to spend i would want to do 15 crowns for free at 200 dollars a piece do 15 crowns on 15 different people help out 15 different people and create 15 different cheerleaders that are going to go around talking about how great i am all right now that one i'm going to segue lastly into these objections that i think people have the objections um There's a couple of major objections, and uh, we'll just get into them. One is, we've kind of touched on this, is other people are going to want free treatment. If I do free treatment, I will become the person who is known for doing free treatment. And therefore, people will hit me up. I will make one admission that because of my social media presence, it does happen on social media. I do get hit up a lot on social media. Some I respond to, some I do not, but it's at my discretion because they're private DMs or comments on different posts that we do. People get a little more brave on the internet when they're hiding behind a screen, but not a single time has anyone ever come to my office and asked me for free work, not once. Not a discount, not anything, all right? That has never happened because of any free or charitable work that I've ever done. And I've talked to other dentists who do the kind of level that, that, that we do, and it's never happened once to them either. I don't know anybody who has ever had that actual actually happen to them and if it does i can point to you to a hundred other people who have not so i would say it's very rare i don't believe that it happens and i believe that most people who say that or worry about that are people who have not actually put the exercise into practice okay these are people who have not done a lot of charity not done a lot of charitable service not this this, this type of charitable service um the next objection is that patients are always entitled or ungrateful. And that does happen. Again, that's why we have rules. Go back to the rules. We have to have people who deserve it. And that means great people who are going to be grateful, right? It's really hard to get that down to a 100% science. But uh, when someone advocates on, on, the, on behalf
1: of someone else, we have found uh, through our network that That brings us some of the most joyful
0: experiences in helping people make a transformation from teeth to no teeth or bad teeth to good teeth or non-presentable teeth to presentable teeth. Um, The next one is that it's too expensive. And that is true. And that's one of the reasons I, I, I didn't have a, I don't have a rebuttal for that, except for I've created the Halo Dental Network to solve that problem. So that hopefully Dennis can join our network and get labs, lab cases uh done for free. We've noticed tons of success in just simply asking your lab, telling the lab what you're doing. I believe people want to be a part of good things. And when they hear something that you're doing that's good, they want the they appreciate the opportunity to be involved in some way and contribute in a meaningful way. And the last objection is that good work should be done in secret, right? The things that you do. There's no point in talking about it. And I understand where this concern comes from. And my desire is to break as many dentists as I can of this. I want to, um, you know, if you do something kind for someone and you're the only one who knows about it, then you inspire yourself. Mm -hmm. If you do something nice for someone and everybody knows about it, then you inspire everybody. And that's, that's my rebuttal is that I know it might not be comfortable. And just cause you did one that you wanted a testimonial from, or you take a video of and you post it on Instagram or you post it on Facebook, it doesn't mean you can't do more in private. Do more in private. For everyone you do in public, do three in private, if that makes you feel better. But you don't have to do everything in public, but you do need patience to understand your why. You do need, you, you do benefit from being around people who believe what you believe, not being around people who who need what you have, right? It's such an important distinction. And that should be the aspiration, I think, that brings the most happiness to Dennis, the most satisfaction. Uh, truth is, Dennis suffer from a lot of mental health issues. And there's a not a lot of docs that are going out there and talking about that. There's a few. Uh, I appreciate some of the presentations I've seen from Dr. Kyle Stanley, Dr. Joshua Austin, who are some of the, the guys out there that I know are talking about some of these really tough to talk about issues, but mental health is a huge problem. People who have purpose typically are able to overcome mental health issues. That is a fact. That is a scientifically founded fact is that developing a purpose and money isn't that purpose. Money just doesn't make you immune. From mental health issues as we have seen in our society okay so should we talk about the things that we do for people 100% yes 100% unequivocal to me because you will inspire more people to do that and the naysayers and I hope you aren't a naysayer but the people who say you shouldn't have shared that I don't think they are happy people I don't I, I think they're somewhere in their in their journey still to find out what makes them happy and to understand their purpose. Um and uh and that we we should help them understand a different a different way of approaching this. Um again, we are fortunate
1: as dentists that we have the ability to um be the gatekeepers of
0: our own services and our own skills and our own resources. Not a lot of doctors have that very, very few and even fewer professions. I can't even think of one, uh, that has complete autonomy. Like we do. It's amazing. And I never wanted to change. And I, I kind of cringe when we start talking about, we should be like medicine. We should adopt the, uh, you know, things from, uh, uh, medical health care. And I go, well, let's be careful about exactly what we want to adopt because the autonomy that we have is sacred to me
1: and I don't want to give that up for anything. Um, some amazing things have happened to me because of charitable work. Personally, um, financially, and I
0: said I like to I like to collaborate with cool people, and and that's something I've I've sought out to do, and with very little only armed with my desire to help people, uh, we have uh, the Halo Dental Network has collaborated with people like Stevo. Um, I've been a guest on the Ruben Report podcast. I've been a guest on the Tinfoil Hat podcast. And one thing I want to show you, and this is kind of my mic drop moment, where if you talk to other gurus or consulting groups who tell you how to use your marketing dollars and for those who say charitable service isn't going to make an impact i want to show you something and i don't know how to do the share screen thing because i'm on my phone but i do have this pulled up on and this is probably going to be crappy quality and i apologize but i'm going to move move this and i want you to watch this i i hope you can hear okay there's my ugly picture
1: brady smith brady smith dds Holla at Brady Smith. Oh, how'd um, you do that? Because Jamie's a wizard. Goddamn. <laughs> Savior <hey. laughs> of just a smile. A little
0: bit of a language.
1: Where does he live? Oh, we should post his. Yeah. Should- does he live in Portland? Dox him. Dox that motherfucker. <laughs> <Yeah. Portland. laughs> Brady Smith from Portland. Folks, if you listen to this and you need some dental work done, go to that guy. Look, he's a handsome fella. What a fucking good guy. Yeah. yeah. What a good guy. What's He's got a podcast? Yeah, so his podcast. called Drilled. What's yeah. it called? It's called Drilled. <laughs> it's called, <laughs> it's called, called joke. Drilled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He oh my God! Podcast the, the the most most this podcast is the most drilled, boring podcast a podcast. that just makes you want to kill yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We don't need to. I apologize for the language, and they can. Uh, Glenn, I'm sorry if you're gonna have to bleep a, few, a couple words out. Why do I want to share that? I woke up one day. I don't know Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan doesn't know me, but here he is talking about me one of the most popular podcasts with the biggest audience in the world. And he starts telling people, if you're in Portland and you need dentistry, go to this guy. He's a good guy. He called me handsome. I don't know if he caught that part. I think we can ignore the other parts where the other comedians are talking about how the, my podcast make people want to kill themselves. But here's the point. If by doing, and the reason the story behind this being mentioned is I did, it was a friend of a friend of, of one of the guests that he had who mentioned me. And somehow his guy, Jamie, behind the scenes, who does his like Googling uh, wizardry, was able to pull me up and what I was, a couple of things I've done online and started talking about that. And I've never in my life done dentistry for people coming from out of state. That's not, I'm a very average dentist there's nothing special about what I, what I do or, or anything. Um. People who were looking for that trustworthiness found it when Joe Rogan told them to come visit me. That's the power of charitable service. Think about how much money that would cost to approach Joe Rogan and his people and say, I just want you to mention my my, my dental office for a second, for a minute or two. I don't think he would even say yes. So here's my point if charitable service can get me mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast, which was incredible. for all kinds of aspects of of my professional and personal life, then it can do anything. It can do things that money can't. It is a currency that unlocks the limbic system of people's brains and lets them know I can trust this person. I can be loyal to this person. This person is going to treat me well. And, And then you have someone who
1: believes what you believe in your chair, not someone who just needs what you have. So um, I want to end this by going back to where I began, and that's self-help.
0: I hope that by listening to this, you have found something. I'm getting a low battery. Okay, I I hope that you found something that has generated something that you want to act on. Something because of that limbic system. You felt something that is going to drive your
1: behavior and act on that, pull that trigger. If you need help our to work, you can on any of our social media channels, the Halo Dental Network, Drilled Podcast. I'm easy to find on Facebook, probably
0: too active on Facebook, to be quite honest. Uh, I'm very, very easy to get a hold of. Uh, if you want to contribute to the Halo Dental Network, you can donate through the website, Halo Dental ne- the Halo Dental Network, uh, sorry, halodentalnetwork.org. And you can be involved um, personally by bringing uh, charitable work into your office that helps your community directly. That's what we do at the Halo Dental Network. We bring them to you. We bring the, you patients from your community into your office in the comfort of your own uh, your own comfort zone of your office to do this type of work. You do not need to travel. We will bring someone, find someone and bring them to you. Um, But I hope you found something that you're looking for that's different than what you planned on. That was my purpose. That's what I wanted to accomplish here. I wanted to paint something in a different light uh, that makes you understand, helps you understand the value. I truly believe that this will increase the productivity of your office the vibe of your office. I do believe that our profession can solve dental poverty. I believe that this charitable service is the best use of your resources to grow your practice in the way that you want. And I believe most dentists want to do charitable service and just don't know how to do it. If you believe that, or any part of that, we would like to collaborate with you. Uh, uh, I hope to hear from any and all of you. Uh, I hope you guys are all doing well in your dental careers. And uh, I wanna thank Glenn again for the opportunity to uh, present these ideas with this virtual summit and hope to see you all again sometime in
1: person, hopefully. Uh, Thank you very much.